Over the last few weeks, we've embarked on a journey down a winding road, seeking answers to the alarming spike in crime that has marred the start of this year. Each report we've come across paints a concerning picture, one where the faces of crime, both victims and suspects, are becoming alarmingly young. Welcome to On the Record. I'm your host, Jerome Sawyer. It's a reality that forces us to confront some hard questions. Just this week, we saw a 15-year-old boy murdered outside of his home. 15. Where are we going wrong? And what crucial elements are we missing in our approach to nurturing and guiding our children? Tonight, as we conclude our series on crime, we turn our focus towards the correlation between crime and education. We're honored to sit down with two distinguished leaders at the forefront of government-endorsed initiatives that tackle this issue. The first program is designed to intercept at-risk youth while they're still in school. The second, a training agency aimed to equip our young people with the essential skills needed to enter and thrive in the workforce. We hope to shed some light on the transformative power of education and explore how these initiatives are not just changing lives, but potentially altering the course of our society. Stay with us. Our discussion begins on the other side of this break. This is On The Record. Before we dive deep into our conversation tonight, let's take a moment to catch up on a headline that has dominated the news cycle for a little over a week. On February 12th, at a press conference, Prime Minister Philip Davis delivered a firm message concerning what he perceives as the local media's role in attracting unwanted attention from international news outlets, especially regarding the issue of crime. The implications of the Prime Minister's words sparked debates and discussions across the nation and were even picked up in the international media, ironically casting another spotlight on the crime issue. His reference highlighting the delicate balance between reporting on crime and shaping the international image of our country. Naturally, the statement has stirred quite a bit of commotion. Still, it is reminiscent of a similar situation that unfolded a little over a decade ago when the current government was in opposition. Joshua Williams takes us through the details in this comprehensive report. The Prime Minister this week calling on local media to adjust their crime reporting tactics. This as the state of crime now grabbing international headlines. I'm not saying not to report, but where you report it may make a difference. Yes. And, and all I ask them to do, if you check, right, check Jamaica, see where their crime report is, check Trinidad, check the United States. Just check and see what it is. It's never on the front page. But every bullet, every bullet that is fired appears to be front page news on all of our daily news. And what happened? AP picks it up, brothers pick it up, and what happens? Many taking to social media, reflecting on Davis's comments during the 2012 general elections billboard controversy. When the Progressive Liberal Party, PLP, protested against the removal of billboards the party put up, highlighting over 490 murders under the Ingram-led Free National Movement Administration. Then Deputy Leader of the PLP, Davis, accused the governing FNM of trying to suppress the reality of the time. Are we about hiding the truth? Are we about that? Are we about suppressing the truth? Are, are we going to be concerned about the impression 
that the truth gives? Is that what we are saying? Are you saying that we should deep suppress truth? During that time, the billboards raised concerns among visiting tourists. I thought y'all had 490 murders this year. And that kind of concerned me a little bit. This year, international media has been seen actively documenting the local efforts in combating crime, an issue the Davis administration acknowledges. A similar occurrence took place back in 2012. Don't forget now, there was an Australian documentary that's already gone around the world, so it's out there. As for the change in tune over a decade later... That's the past. That's the past, right? I'm looking forward, all right? What I'm saying now is I now have evidence that this is impacting how it is accepted in the, in the international community. Reporting for Our News, I'm Joshua Williams. Interesting. But of course, on the heels of the Prime Minister's comments, the opposition and nonpartisan organizations provided input. However, the coverage surrounding this discussion didn't end there. In fact, it garnered international attention, and whether wanted or not, Prime Minister Davis was under some heat. But as it turned out, he stood by his comments. Marlena Leonard shares more in this report. I'm not a dictator. I believe, and all of you who are in the, in the free press... I appreciate that I, I have the highest respect for uh, the press and its involvement in the dissemination of, of information. I do, of course, have my views as to how that is to be done. That coming from Prime Minister Philip Davis on the heels of a Miami Herald article titled Bahamas Leader Blames Media Stories About the Country's Spike in Crime for Hurting Tourism. The international headline comes on the heels of criticism from both the opposition and nonpartisan organizations. But Davis says he feels his comments were taken out of context. I would have expected those who were present when I made that statement to be able to say the context in which I said it. I did say specifically this is not the dictation to you what you ought to do but I want you to consider how you go about reporting these things and I ask you to take a look at how it is done around the world and, and see whether or not it is as prominent a feature in a newspaper as it is it in is, our newspaper. It is, it is a prominent feature in some places. Executive Director of the Organization for Responsible Governance, Matt Aubrey, reaffirming the importance of a free and transparent press and had this to say when asked his thoughts on Davis's suggestion. I think media has to determine what are the priorities and what are the priorities to the public and so in our communities and particularly those communities that have been struggling with for a long time, this is day-to-day -day issues. These are things that affect, these are people they knew, these are risks in communities and so it's important that that's brought forward. I think the, the, the engagement of our local communities can't be dismissed in the face of potentially international reputation. The negative international media attention has been largely brought on by the crime wave that has come with 2024. Our current murder count now at 25, just six weeks into the year. When asked about the perceived absence of the national security minister, Davis said... Absence, man. No, he's, he's, he's engaged in matters of security now. Right. We, he, he is involved right now in one aspect of my five pillars, that is the rehabilitative aspect, going around to see how it is being done in other jurisdictions. Reporting for Our News, I'm Marlena Leonard. So we get it. Tourism is our number one industry, and we are willing to do whatever to protect it. However, as the fourth estate, we must provide citizens with the necessary information and analysis to make informed life decisions, and everything and everyone else comes second to that. Our Joshua Williams took to the street to find out how residents felt about the discussion. The free press debate continues, prompted by Prime Minister Philip Davis's recent comments about media reports on the local crime situation, the topic dominating kitchen table talk across many local households. The PM hinting earlier this week that continuous headlines promoting bad news gives the country a bad look, and suggested local media reports are to blame for international headlines. But these residents say, print the headlines. No, it isn't. It isn't negative. That's, just, that's the news. The news bring the people up to date. No, not negative. I would say it's a reality check for the Bahamans. For others, while crime reporting is important, a healthier balance is needed. We can curb what we provide for our listeners. If we are referring to the amount of murders and shootings and stuff, um, we don't need to report that every day, you know? And I think 
the environment will be more quiet and relaxing. Countries such as the United States and Canada issuing travel advisories for the Bahamas, something the Prime Minister suggests may be tied to constant crime headlines, which he argued also hurts tourism. But do residents agree? Tourists are more familiar with guns and shootings and murders because they hear that every day of their lives. So what can be done to stop all the violence? These residents believe it comes down to this. Plenty that's occurring. Look at the Bible even say men will become lovers of themselves. Broad of wipers, cold. So biblical time, the word speaks for itself. Some people say um, do the lockdown thing and that will force people not to be out and about. That might be a remedy. There's something that we could try for like six months and see how that improves. Reporting for Our News, I'm Joshua Williams. Well, it's important to remember that our role as the press extends far beyond just spotlighting the negatives. Indeed, we sometimes utilize these unfortunate statistics as a pivot point for learning, understanding, and most crucially, for crafting solutions. As members of the Fourth Estate, we are often asked by civil society to provide analysis and insight into current social issues. Over my 30 years as a journalist, I have presented and participated in numerous public discussions and given feedback for position papers, research, and even scholarly lectures on a myriad of social issues, crime included. And while we provide the daily rough draft of history, journalists are not merely scribes who regurgitate information, as the fourth estate plays a pivotal role in any free society, providing context and analysis given our unique insight into these daily issues that affect us. It is no coincidence we often transition into university lecturers, public relations experts, consultants, or even advisors to governments. Well, on another note, since our episode last week, Hands for Hunger has reported a significant influx of calls from individuals seeking assistance from their programs. This clearly indicates the impactful work we strive to do. We take pressing societal problems and link them with solutions. And when solutions seem elusive, we initiate discussions to uncover them together. You're watching On The Record, and we are just getting started. Stay with us. And welcome back. It's no secret that every child has a different school experience than others, and the factors contributing to this can vary. As we continue our deep dive into the intricate relationship between crime and education, we turn our attention to an initiative that's been making strides in transforming the lives of our young people. We're talking about the Transitional Alternative Program for students that are known as TAPS. This school program steps in an offer or this program that is offers crucial intervention helping children not only in their academic pursuits but also in developing healthy coping skills to manage their behaviors and navigate their problems effectively joining us now is someone at the heart of this transformative work the principal of the taps program miss cora ching cora welcome to on the record thank you so much for having me today Let's jump right in now. Tell us what is TAPS? Why was it started and is it a program, a school, a combination of both? Well, TAPS started in 2015. It started off as a project from the Ministry of Education, whereas students were moved from the regular school population and they came into TAPS basically to study their behavior, to see how can we cope or basically reform these students. The program has been around for 15 years. This now being my first year as principal of the school, we look at the data that was present, what we want to now bring forward, and then how we can continue to work with these students along with their parents to work on behavioral issues. So what is the profile of the student that comes to you? Basically, a student who have 
exhausted all the resources in reference to going into fighting, consistent cursing, being disrespectful. Students who, and when we look at it, we look at, they look at students where with the school offer, you go to old school suspension, whereas you go to the various ministries and you get assistance to get help. But with the students that the school sent to us, they have worked with them, continuous fights, not behaving inside the classroom, just either being continued absent, just issues that is beyond the school control. So these are, and not to, you know, I don't want to trivialize it, but these really are the problem kids. Basically can see as problematic children, yes sir. All right, so once they come to you, before we get into the behavioral issues, what happens? Is it Does it function like a normal school with lessons each day, or how does it work? Right, so the students, let's say for example, a child attends C.I. Gibson. So the child goes to C.I. Gibson, the child is in grade 10. Now with the child being in grade 10, this is where the guidance counselor, because you know there's a guidance counselor for every grade level. So the guidance counselor will get report on the child from a teacher that, you know what, I noticed that Susan is misbehaving. I would speak to Susan, Susan would get upset, raise her voice, just throw the desk around, curse at me. Okay, you now bring a parent in for counseling. Or you say, parent, this is a one-on-one -on -one conference. This is now where you're, so we try that method, we are not successful. You now say, okay, the situation happens again. You now reach out to old school suspension programs. This is where there are different programs that work with the students, like a two-weeks program. They go to these various schools off-campus or churches off-campus. But again, Susan comes back in the school. It starts all over again. So now they need help. This is where they then can talk us at TAPS. They let us know we have a student. We recognize that we have done various intervention on our end. We have used the various resources that we could have. But right now, Susan needs to be in a small environment. So with Susan coming to us, we now take the information that the school gives us. We then contact our guidance counselor who works with us. Also, the various school programs that come in, the various programs, and they now assess Susan. Susan then comes for us. We start at three months, but it could go over six months or nine months, depending if the child actually meets what we consider as our marker for conduct to be rewarded back to the general population. So how do you go about now, first of all, assessing? Take me through the assessment period, and then how do you begin to now correct, or what kind of behavioral things do you introduce? So again, so we use the same example, student Susan. Yes. Once I speak with a guidance counselor, as well as a principal, we then set up a meeting with the parent to come into the school. At TAPS, we have our general intake. This is where you as a parent, you speak to me one-on-one -on -one what's happening with your child. I also speak to your child to get, okay, tell me what you think is going on. This is now in-house. We just basically spill tea. What is going on? Something that I always do, I have a mirror in my office. I allow every child, before I continue with the interview, tell me what you see. And then tell me, after you tell me what you see, who do you blame? You're blaming everyone except yourself. A lot of our students do not take accountability for their actions. Again, I blame the principal, or this teacher don't like me. This is why I am misbehaving. So once we are done with that, I then, now we go through, okay, how can we now look at your background? When we look at where you're from, that's your community, do you go to church? We look at that also. We look at your school record, not just academic, but are you attending school on a daily basis? Mm. How do you get to school? Because you know, what are your responsibilities? Again, mommy, I look at mommy attitude as well, or sometimes daddy, to see their response to how the child is going to react. And then it ties it together. This is a learned behavior. So help me to understand too, what are some of the common backgrounds or common behaviors? I know you must experience a lot, but what are some of the common themes that you see from the kids that, that are referred to your program? Basically where uh, with our, a lot of single homes, a lot of single homes, or that's where a mother, and then you have the child who's now also the daycare of the siblings. So more responsibility, so the frustration. And you know, one time we used to say children shouldn't be stressed. Or how, how could a child be stressful? Mm -hmm. But, you know, you come from a home that you're working. And I found that very shocking that 
our young girls, ages 13 to 16, have afternoon jobs or go to work before coming to TAPS. Literally happening now. So again, you are, you are helping mommy pay the bills, which is fine. But before school hours, then you have to drop this one to the daycare. Then you come to school. So we have a bus service. So if you miss the bus service, it's because you're now being that actual that extra caretaker to ensure so you get help. It's economic in one instance. Right. What else Basically, have you noticed? Then poverty. When we look at where they're coming from, their home environment. You know, a lot of our kids either home, do not have electricity, or it takes a minute for the house to have electricity, which I am aware of. And then you have it whereas not being able to have food on a consistent time. So they come to school, they're hungry. You know, um, the good thing with the program, lunch is offered free. That's one of the things that I'm very proud of. We're trying to see how we could assist with getting breakfast free for our kids also. Then when we look at, you expect when you come out of your house as a young lady, you expect to be clean. Uniform is not clean. Sometimes, some of the kids you can see they just wake up on their clothes and they come so again you're escaping what's happening in your home or your environment to be around pairs but it doesn't phase you on how you look but then again when someone say something to you a student says something to you, you dirty or you, you smell right bad. you just attack and you're not just attacking with words you're now also attacking with actions because again we are falling down as parents we are forgetting you know what I should teach you how to squash out your clothes. How to wash your face. Basically, your just the basic, the basic things of survival. But parents, again, I understand life tends to get heavy, but we should not use it as an excuse. You've spoken about student Susan. What mm -hmm. about student John? What about the males? Well, males do not attend us. We only You're have just, females. So just females. Just females. Okay. We, only, we only deal with females. And what we have realized is a lot of females are not ex able to express themselves. So Susan and her mom marry. Susan could be going through. But instead of Susan speaking to her mom, she's now going to social media. She's now going to her friend, Lisa and Mika, who family says, you know what? I can't do this. So our girls are making bad choices. And by making bad choices, they retaliate. Okay, mommy works. So mommy's out now. I'm going to sneak out. By sneaking out, you get yourself caught up in problems. Or you get that thrill, that excitement. So, which brings me to another point. So, you know, in some previous discussions, and we, we, we talked about young men who are, are drawn into the mm. life of crime. But what are young women being drawn into uh, by older people? Men. men. Older men. Older yeah, men. Go Basically, older. Um, crime as well. Also now being involved in sexual activities. Because, again, they are longing for love. They're also longing for, you know what, mommy doesn't have it today, so if I can't do something to get something back, I'm okay. What age range are we talking about? 13, as young as 13. As young as 13? Yes, as young as 13. As Again, as 13. back to my initial question, what role are these older men, sometimes, what roles are these older men sometimes playing, playing in their lives and preying on these young women? Right, basically, whereas they are misleading our young ladies to give them the impression I can be a father figure to you. I can be a godfather. Because every time I turn around, my students use that term, godfather. Really? Use that term very loosely. And again, they feel as though, okay, after hours, okay, someone, a schoolgirl is walking the streets, however means it is. But because she's dressed a certain way, you don't think she's a schoolgirl. And so what the students do, they tend to lie about their age. And this is something that I know. They tend to lie about their age. So I'm telling you I'm 18. So you feel as though because the way my body shape and the way I'm dressed, I'm actually 18. But and I should how have I a carry conversation. Myself, yeah. You think I'm 18. So, but then I still have this innocent face, even though life is hard. I still look innocent. But hey, I'm hungry. So because I'm hungry, I'm willing to degrade myself as a young lady to make sure I have. And that is where I notice with our students the mental capacity of them are not where it needs to be. What about those who are involved in crime? Even the police right. are saying that a lot of women are being used, young women are being mm -hmm. used in the proliferation and in committing of crime. Yes, so um, we have students who would have came through TAPS where they would have used weapons, um, exchange of selling illegal substance, 
also smoke an illegal substance because, you know, usually with a girl, they feel as though you won't get pat down as much or you can sneak certain substance mm -hmm. into the school campus. And with that, we've had an incident like that on our campus already. But the good thing is, even though us as adults, we don't smoke, but thank God for our nose, we were able to smell the substance. So we were able to get assistance from Inspector Curry from the Grove Police Station along with his team. So now the police, we're now partnering with the police that they're able to speak to our young ladies, to speak to our parents. This is not the life you want to follow. You need to now get your education. If you're unable to get education, try get a skill because the young men are gonna use you. When they finish with you, they throw you away. And then what happens? You see the females on the road, females are dying. You're taking chances, why? Which brings me to our next point then. How, how do you begin to fix in your program? What are some of the you know, behavioral modifications and different things that you're working on and models that you're working on to try to stop and even reverse this behavior? Right, so what we do, our guidance counselor, Mr. Jensel Watkins, he comes in, he does his test on our students. After he completes his test, we then sit down and we modify. We have each child, one by one, how are we gonna work on this case? Every child is a case. Every case has a different story. We then have a Ministry of Education program, PURE. Um, this is where Mrs. Smith, Ms. Hyler, and Ms. Roll, they come in, they also test our students as well to see, okay, how can we now speak to each case separately and how can we now limit? So from that, what we do, we now have a conduct um, card that we have for each girl. So once we speak to you one-on-one, -on -one, we now have to take our cap off as an adult and actually come to your level. What do I mean by that? We know of cases where certain students would have been where you are. So now I have to look at you and I need you to trust me. And once mm -hmm. I'm able to tap in to you trusting me, you then open up. How can we now help you? Once you let me know this is your problem, Okay, this is what we now need to do. So we realize because of issues that are at home, this is why many of our students are acting out or the community itself. This is where kids would tend to say, I cannot express myself to my mommy. I cannot speak to my mommy. So, or mommy is always busy, mommy is always working. So again, what we have implemented at TAPS is something called Parents Day. This is where we bring in persons to speak to to speak to our parents, to let them know how you can be a better parent. What is your role as a parent? And if you do not accomplish or if you do not do your roles, this is what's gonna happen not just to you but to and your child. child. Mm -hmm. So I feel as though, or what I would like to see, it is whereas the parents who kids are put into these various programs, they actually be held more accountable. And we'll come back to that in, mm -hmm. in a moment, but this is an incredible work. Mm -hmm. that that you're doing and I think you know we, we sometimes miss the work that these programs are doing but I, I without you even telling me I know that there is always a need for more yes sir. more resources more help you know what kinds of partnerships do you need what kind of help do you need to maybe expand and, and even help more young ladies um, in our community who who are at that place first of all we will need a bigger location you know we are on Wolf Road across from AID a lot of persons, if you hear about TAPS, you don't know about TAPS. Yeah, I, you really, you really don't I, know about TAPS. I've heard of it, but this like, conversation mm -hmm. has enlightened me. Right. So let's so talk about it. First of all, we will need a bigger location. When they think of resources, we need more manpower. In the sense, what we have done, we are speaking about introducing a hospitality program. Also, we want a connection with tourism. We want it whereas there's a space, academics is key, but more hands-on products, I mean more hands-on classes for our students. Whereas we have the daily counseling that happens with our kids, but now we need it whereas there are more counselors who are able to come in not just to speak to our kids, but our parents, our teachers, also our support staff. You cannot just put anybody in a special school, sure. if that makes sense. So, you know, a saying when I first came to TAPS, just viewing the environment, viewing those that I met there, I made a statement, sometimes broken crayons, they put with broken crayons. They don't expect broken crayons to still color. But if we come in as a whole, 
100% as adults, even with the various program, persons who could assist us with feeding, ensuring that our kids have food, in reference to our young ladies having toiletry items, as simple as that. We had a staff briefing, and we know that every young lady is expected or should be able to see a cycle every month. Every day they come into school, can I please have a simple Kotex? Again, parents are falling wow. short. When it comes to just having deodorant, just being able to have their hair fixed, the good thing, we have some of the girls in there who could plot hair, who assist with that uniform. So just being, again, if we could have persons who can tap in, if you literally come into TAPS and you see what we face, you will understand why, you know, what these young ladies are rapidly getting out of control. And these are things to just give people basic human dignity. Yes. Wow. We have a lot of work to do. Cora, I commend you. Thank you. And your entire team for the tremendous work that you are doing. I shudder to think if you did not exist. And so I thank you and I hope that others out there will see this interview and offer some services and offer some assistance to you and keep up the great work. Our thank country so would be far worse without you. So thank you very much, Amy. Yes, sir. And we wish you continued success. Stay with yes. us. Our discussion continues right after this. And welcome back. We turn our focus to an essential pillar in the fight against crime through education and skill development. We're talking about the National Training Agency, or NTA, which has been at the forefront of equipping young Bahamians who may lack traditional academic qualifications with the vital skills and certifications they need to secure entry-level employment. The NTA's program offers a pathway to employment, a sense of purpose and belonging in society. By providing young people with the tools they need to succeed in the workforce. We are joined by the Registration, Assessment and Guidance Manager of the National Training Agency, Stanya Davis. Stanya, welcome to On the Record. Thank you. And for full disclosure, you know, I must always have full disclosure on the show. Stanya's my first cousin. Hey. So that's a family thing. <laughs> but anyway, <All> right. <laughs> good okay. to have you on. Thank you. Let's first of all talk about the history of the National Training Agency and really what's inspired it. And, and you know, I gave a brief introduction, but really what do you all do on a day-to-day -day basis? On a day-to-day -day basis. Okay, it's, you know, there's so many layers and levels of what it is that we do but what we do in a nutshell is that we prepare persons for entry-level work positions so now who are these people you may ask these are people who have maybe they didn't do well in school um, maybe they may even have a crime a, a criminal record mm -hmm. maybe they didn't have the funds to go off to college so we're looking for persons between the ages of 20 of 16 and 26 years old to give them a second chance so our program is totally about transformation. So they come into the program, or maybe, what, what should I say? The first thing I would say is that we find them, first of all. So you find them? Well, we find them, they find us. Mm -hmm. um, we work hand in hand with different organizations, different programs. So for example, we go into the schools, and we are looking for the persons who did not, maybe they didn't have five BJCs, or maybe they didn't even have a BJC, or a BGCSE. We're looking for those ones who really want to do well, but they don't have the education and they don't have the means to have or to get a job. Sure. Yes. And what about, um, you know, what, sorry, what are some of the typical backgrounds? I mean, you, you talked about the, I don't want to call them underachievers, but those who did not do so well in school. Right. Um, but others who may be disadvantaged, what are some of the reasons that they are disadvantaged? Oh, my goodness. Do, how, many, how much time do we have here? <laughs> we have um, two hours? <laughs> okay. Um, seriously, they come from different backgrounds. Um, some may come from homes where there's a lot of abandonment. So that's something that I've seen personally, a lot of um, they're grieving, believe it or not. Um, they have lost a parent or they've lost both parents. Um, a lot of them, in many cases, they come from homes when or where they are fatherless and motherless. And when I say fatherless and motherless, I'm not just talking about 
through death, I'm also talking about them not being um, a part of the home mm -hmm. and even being presently absent or absently present. Um, some of them also are persons who growing up on their own. Now, for example, we have a young man who said that he was on the streets from he was about 14. And, you know, and listening to that, I'm trying to figure out, okay, where, where are your parents? Why? I mean, where did you well, go? Well, where your grandparents, where your aunts, your uncles? When you talk about on the street. Yes. An entire family that's missing. Yes. And take us or help us to connect um, what happens to those who are unemployable and crime and in oh, life of okay. crime. All right. Well, you know, as I said earlier, we are about transformation. We want, we want the young people who feel as though, you know what, maybe I'm not going to make it because for whatever reason, we want them. This program was created to give persons a second chance. Now, I have to tell you, sometimes it is a little depressing, and it's depressing because, you know, we get some, some persons come in and they're only 16. And at 16, they do have a criminal pass. And it's hard, it's difficult that even at 16, they are not employable. They have a record, and in addition to having a record, they lack the skills and the education. So now this is where NTA comes in. Because through our certification, our certification now becomes their education. And we have local certifications and we also have certifications now. Um, you know, Jerome, I, I know you like only 21 years old here. Yeah? Well, I thank you for that. That's right. <laughs> I know you're only 21 years old. But you remember when we were in school and we had, we had to do Pitman? Mm -hmm. Okay. So that would be City and Gills. So some of our programs that we offer, are, you're certified through City and Gills. So that is something that totally sets us apart from a lot of different programs, which we're not a program, we are a, tra a training agency. Sure. So we offer certifications locally, as well as international certifications. So we wanna give them a chance. This is now their education. So we solve that issue. Now, how do we solve the experience? Got you on that too. What we do now, what we also do is we offer practical skills as well. So there's soft skills training, and I'll tell you a little bit more about that. But we also offer practical skills. So for example, they will go, um, let's say they sign up for culinary and baking. They're in a real kitchen, a real restaurant where they're learning how to plate the food. They're learning how to do uh, Mediterranean food, Bahamian food. So they're actually learning how to, how to cook and cook on, I mean, not just, you know, a fry little egg here, turn mm -hmm. it over. Right. Where they, With real life experience. Yes, yes. So how does that now translate into a change okay. in pathway. You, you've taken the, the, the kid, the young adult who has not done so well, who may have a criminal record, right. no experience. You've given them that certification, that experience. Now what? Okay. So, you know, there's so many things that I can share with you that, you know, it's not written on the books. And when I say not written on the books, it's not just, we're not just about... Um, okay, you know, you sign up for the program and then, okay, now you, you know, we, we train you. It's not just that. We also help in terms of assisting them with clothing because a lot really? of them, yes, they don't have clothing to go out on a, on a job interview. They're not used to being in that setting. So they don't, sometimes they may not even have um, clothing to attend the training sessions because they're not, they're not, they're not. You know, they don't have that. They may have street clothes, clothing, you know, clothing yeah. to go different but places. But not professional. But not professional clothes. Yeah. Yes. So we assist them with that. We also assist them in terms of career coaching because some of them come in and they're not quite sure what is it that they really want to do. So the transformation for them is, first of all, letting them know that there is a place just for you. This program was created just for you. That's the first thing. The transformation also takes place in terms of, you know, just letting them know that it's possible, that you can make a change at any given time. For many of these um, participants, is this the first time that they are hearing messages like that? Yes. Yes. As young adults? I'm telling you. And, you know, when I hear some of the trainees, or I remember, um, let's call it Jane. I remember Jane said, Ms. Davis, if I didn't come to NTA... I would have been in jail or dead. Really? Yes. And I said, why? You know, what happened? And she said, well, because I was so angry. I was so angry. I was molested. I was abused. 
Um, nobody believed me. My parents are, are, have, are deceased. And coming to NTA, it gave us a chance. Another, you know, a second chance. And literally, this is what we do. You know, even working with our providers, and the providers are persons who offer their services in terms of training. The, our butler program, our butler service program, actually, the persons who lead that, they were a part of NTA. They were once really? trainees. And now they have their own, their own butler service, top tier, high top tier. And so they now give back as well, and so they are now providers. I was going to ask you, how important is that partnership um, with businesses and other organizations? Because obviously you can't do it on your own. No, but, you no. But, know, you know, how important are those partnerships to the success of the program? Oh, it's vital. And it's vital because, for starters, okay, so after they go through the four weeks of soft skills training, and soft skills are a mandatory workforce preparatory program, they learn attitude shape-up. So they work on their attitude, self-awareness. They find out, who am I? What is it that I have to give? What makes me unique? Also, we prepare them in terms of customer service. Um, they learn about rules in an organization. So they learn how to act once they are on the job. But this is also the transformation part, part of their journey. And when they say learn how to behave yourself. Exactly, yes. And literally, you know, I told them just yesterday, I said, you know, sometimes manners and attitude can take you to take you where qualification and experience cannot take you. The old people say manners take you around the world. Yes. So we're preparing them. So after the four weeks and after the skills training, the practical skills training, what we now do is that we want them to get a job. So we now partner with different organizations where they actually come and they ask us, hey, you know, they call us in and they say, well, we're looking for um, this person to work here, there, and everywhere. Mm -hmm. And so now what we do now is that we call our trainees and we prepare them for the interview process. And I personally prepare them for the interview process. And this is in addition to them going through job readiness during the soft skills training program sure. as well. So we partner with them during that time. And as a matter of fact, Jerome, I mean, I'm so excited about NTA. Trust me, I am trying to contain it to tell you the truth because this is really ministry for all of us there. In addition to finding them a job afterwards, because we know that a lot of them are in need of money, we know that a lot of them are even committing crimes because of mm -hmm. money in many cases. Mm -hmm. um, just last week, a young man, and he, he said to me, you know, he was, he was arrested. And so he said, so I said to him, I said, what can I do? What can we do to get you off the street? What can we do? So he said, Ms. Davis, I just need a job. So I said, okay, I'll handle the rest. So we partnered with other businesses once again, and we started the Work, Learn, and Earn program, which is instead of just waiting until they're done with the program, what we do is that we try to find them jobs during while they are actually enrolled at the training agency. So you're making some money yes. while you are undergoing the training? Yes. So what we need from them, we just need them to have the, the I don't even want to say motivation, because motivation, we're not going to be motivated um, every day. I mean, I, I know you love your job, but coming here every yeah, day, no, no, right. No, 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 no. You're but right. You're right. You have to be some days you got to. <laughs> right. But if you're dedicated. Yes. If you're different. dedicated, and a lot of them are dedicated to their success. We have trainees who come in and they literally walk from home. And of course, as you know, we are located Gladstone Road. I was to say you're all far out. That's right, because I can't even walk from where we are to Fusion. That's right, and that next door. So, but we have some of them who literally walk from home, Gladstone Road, and they don't live, you know, across the street or, or through the corner here. You know, um, two brothers come to mind just the other day. I think it rained the other day, and that was the first day that they did not that they did not show so it up. it shows the commitment and a dedication yes. to want to do better and to yes. want better. Yes. Yes. Now, can we save everyone? Of course we cannot. Are there some people who come into the program and sometimes they leave? Yes. But it is our job to do what it is that we can do. And if it's 20 persons that um, we have who are still there, then our job is complete. We are concerned not about quantity, um, about qu um, quantity. We are concerned about quality because we want them to be a success. If it takes um, counseling, coaching, and sometimes I have to tell you, it even takes mothering. 
It takes a lot I'm of... I'm sure. I'm telling you, it takes mm -hmm. a lot of mentoring and mothering. And when I see the trainees, you know, we, we have a cohort now. And I know we're talking a lot, but I said, I'm excited. Go ahead, go ahead. <laughs> okay. <Same time. laughs> we have a cohort right now. And to watch some of the young men who came in on day one, the hair is not combed. They're coming in, um, you know, the tan is not dre well dressed. And then now we are now week three. And to watch them and see them transform, to see that now the hair is combed, to see that they are arriving on time, to see that they're doing all these things, you know, one little step at a time. I know, and I'm like, gotcha. I see you, yeah. I see you, So yes. my, my, my question always is, you know, as we prepare, as we move towards the end is, how can we help? What okay. kind of help is needed? What can people out there who are watching this, what can they do to help to okay. expand your program, to, to reach more people, to okay. have more quality uh, um, successful candidates. Okay, well, you know, it's, some, it's so simple. For starters, we need persons to encourage their nephews and nieces, brothers, sister, um, children, friend, friend, whoever it is, to come to NTA. You know, we have a lot of programs out there. Um, I think, um, who's that? We have TAPS, we have Program Shaw, we have, and we have schools, definitely. Mm -hmm. So it's, it's not just even the special schools, of course. It's anyone who is in need of a second chance. Anyone who wants to be a success. So we need persons to suggest that, you know, send them to us. We're gonna take care of the rest. That's all we need. We need all to they have to do is show up. That's it. All we need is for persons to show up. If it is an organization or a business, we do need partnerships in terms of helping us to, sometimes they, can, they even come in and they can do a session. Mm -hmm. oh, sometimes, um, you know, we need, or we partner with them in terms of getting them a job. If you have a position, I mean, think about it now. Now you have someone who is trained, who is certified. So this is what we do. This is exactly what we do. So we need persons to partner with us in e different... Even yes. when they have the job openings and things yes, of that nature. Yes, come to NTA and hire our trainees. That's why we exist. This is what we're trying to do. Because at the end of the day, these same young people are going to go back into society or they are a part of our society. Do you want, I mean, you know, what, what are we going to expect here? Mm -hmm. What are we going to see? And many cases, you, you mentioned this earlier, many times they've never even heard, hey, you know, you're really good at this. Or, you know, you look nice today. They've never had someone to just hold their hand. Positive reinforcement. I'm telling you. And in many cases, um, you know, sometimes I'm a little stern with them, but I notice that they like it. Mm -hmm. They actually like the structure. I'm telling you, they actually like the structure. So, when you, you know, when you see where we find ourselves as a country with, you know, these rising uh, murders, violent crime continuing, you look at that. Do you you see the direct correlation between the lack of um, skills training, the lack yes. of education, the lack of preparation, even the lack of opportunity. Do you see that direct link? Well, yes, I see it in terms of the link in terms of poverty. And I will tell you this, we are, we're out of touch. We are severely out of touch because the reality of some of the people that I see and my reality, totally different. You know, our, or what we think, okay, well, I wasn't able to pay this bill. Mm -hmm. But I see some people who are unable to eat. A young man told me that the only way that he eats sometimes is if he washes a car. And he may miss a meal tomorrow or two days. He's hungry. So our reality, miles apart. Miles apart. Poverty. Poverty, as I said, in terms of even being it, um, it being linked to health. A lot of them, they're unable to even get health care. And yes, we have this, yes, we have that, but it's just not enough. They're not even exposed to things. Some things, they're not even exposed to even going to the theater. You know, I'm talking about walking the fusion. Mm -hmm. Some of them, they've never even been there. It's just not a reality for them. So these are basic socialization things that they also yes. lack, that yes. our people lack in a small island nation like yes. this. And parental support. Um, like I said, many of them have been abandoned. Now, mind you, it's not all of, let me say this too, not all of our trainees, sure. of course. 
um, are not in this demographic, mm -hmm. but I'm just saying what I have seen yeah. and what contributes in many ways. And I'll tell you, this is what we are discussing in this show, in this segment. These are common themes yes. that we have been able to explore and peel back over these weeks that yes. we have focused on crime and in the various levels. And I say to our audience that if you have, if you really want to understand how we got to this place, we invite you to go to our our YouTube page, our On the Record YouTube page, and look at the previous shows as we have discussed this issue, yes. and you begin to understand how it all connects. Stanley, I just want to say thank you. It's been a pleasure. You provided us with so much great information. Um, and kudos to you guys at, at, at the NTA. You're doing a fantastic job. Thank you. Far too often, we, while we focus on the negatives and the bad, we do not spend enough time um, really highlighting the good that's happening in our community and, yes. and the work that you all do they are really represents the good and the positive. And it makes us, it gives us hope. Yes. And that's very, very important that there are, people are finding a way out and there are people who care, who are helping. So thank you. God bless you. Continue to do great work. Thank you so much. And of course, you can find us online, ntabahamas.com. Hopefully I said the right, yeah. the right address, well, but you can you definitely Google us. Find you now. Yes. <laughs> we will yes. find you. Thank okay. you very much once again. We appreciate you coming on. Well, as we draw tonight's episode to a close, it's clear that the journey towards addressing crime through the lens of education and opportunity is both complex and multifaceted. Through our discussions, we've uncovered layers of these initiatives that nurture hope, skills, and resilience among our youth. The stories and insights shared tonight highlight a critical message. When we invest in the education and training of our young people, we're not just equipping them with knowledge and skills for employment. We're providing them with the alternatives to crime. We're strengthening our communities and we're building a foundation for a safer, more prosperous future. Thank you so much for joining us. This is On the Record. We'll see you next time.